and shut said early this morning in tradition service he said I went to bed in Colorado and woke up in San Francisco <laughs> that's kind of fun but it is great to see you it's been a wonderful week around here and uh, the last couple of days Friday Saturday I know many of you were involved in the Love Expresses conference and that's media sound choir orchestra and a, a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes over 300 people involved in that peak under Pastor Terry Kelly and I just want to say thanks to all of you who have given here Friday Saturday and now working the weekend but it's there's always something going on how many of you wonder what why you're so busy sometimes you ever just step back and say I just need to sit down stop life is uh, it keeps us going but a couple of weeks ago, we launched a new series called Learning from the Cities. And today, I really want us to learn from a city named Nineveh. Now, when we say Nineveh, what do you think of when I say Nineveh? Jonah. Absolutely. That would be appropriate. When, you, when I say Jonah, what do you think of? <laughs> the big fish. That's right. And uh, Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the fish. Anyway, they're all kind of mixed together. And that's the context that we typically think of Nineveh. But today I want to unpack some things that are it's going to change your perspective. Because Nineveh is more than a city that repented under Jonah's preaching and teaching and prophetic word. I want to talk about the next generation. And why that's important for us in our culture today. It, let me ask you a question. What are some things that you value in your life? If you were to write them down, don't say them out loud or you don't have to write them down, but just a thought. Some things you value in your life that your parents really didn't value. The way you spend time, money, like where, what are some things you do they didn't or you carve out time for or whatever it is. Can, how many of you can think of something? We, we, we like the values of our parents. This isn't being mean to them. It's just saying we're our own generation. We think differently sometimes. Every generation does. What are some things to flip that that you do not value that your parents really did? They were all about that, but you're just not. You just don't have an interest in it. What about the next generation? Some of you in these auditoriums today that are under 30 years of age and your kind of world, and your kind of thinking. I want to talk to you today. I, I love you. I love the next generation. I believe in them. And I, I want us all to just go on a little journey and learn from Nineveh. Let me tell you a couple things about, about Jonah and about Nineveh. First of all, the book of Jonah, which records the story of, of Nineveh, took place, we know, during Jeroboam's reign, which was 793 B.C. to 753 B.C. Most scholars believe the book of Jonah was actually written and the story actually happened in 759 B.C. Nineveh was located on the east bank of the Tigris River. It was about 550 miles from Samaria. It was the capital of the northern kingdom, huge city. It was like Babylon in its, how impressive it was. It was protected by an outer wall and an inner wall. Um, just the inner wall alone was 50 feet wide and 100 feet high. So this is, a, this is a quite, a, quite a fortress, quite a place, historically. Now, I want to tell you about another prophet, and I'm just going to say a little bit about him, because I'm coming back to him later. When I say the name Nahum, have you ever heard of him? If you learn the books of the Bible, then you have said Nahum at least once or twice in your life. 
There are three chapters in the book of Nahum. It is a prophecy from the prophet Nahum against, guess which city? Nineveh. Nahum's words are in 660 B.C., just two generations after Nineveh had repented. Do you see the problem? What happened to the next generation after Nineveh experienced its repentance? Now let's talk. In your outline, on the back of your bulletin, we learned several things from Nineveh. More than four, but I have four main points that I want you to jot down. And I first want to talk about Jonah's visit to Nineveh. And that is, number one in your notes, put this down, repentance changes our future. When we repent or turn around, it actually means to turn about, it changes our future. It changed Nineveh forever. They were not destroyed. That's a pretty big change. Would you agree? So when I say repent, what that means is I'm walking along going this direction. If I repent, it means I turn about 180 degrees and now I'm walking this direction. So when we say, have you repented, it means you have stopped going that direction. So, so Jonah comes into Nineveh, and I'm going to pick it up in Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 because this is after he's had the big fish story. This is after he has been pretty humbled by everything that's happened and loss on the ship. And now he's going to listen to God. Here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah, what? A second time. How many of you are thankful for second chances right there? I really am. I like that line. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all, just by walking around. On the, on, on, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from their greatest to their least, they declared a fast, they put on burlap, which was a sign of humility and repentance, to show their sorrow or their lifestyle, for their sin, their idolatry, their immorality. The, the historical documents about Nineveh are unbelievable, the things, the practices that they had. Awful, awful, awful. Well, guess what? Jonah comes in, preaches. People are convicted. They believe the message is true. They don't want to be destroyed. And so what do they do? They repent. They stop their ugly ways. There is change. This changes their future. We are talking about Nineveh today in this context because they were not destroyed. Now, just to finish the story briefly, that's what ticked Jonah off, was that they weren't destroyed. <laughs> How would you like to have a pastor like that? Huh? And uh, he is mad because these people got away with some stuff. And he wanted God's wrath to come in and wipe them out because he had said it was going to happen. And now he's embarrassed because his word isn't going to come true. And so he's really self-centered. And on goes the story of Jonah. But let's stop there. And enough of Jonah. How long did the repentance last? This is where I want to spend most of my time with you today. Why did God have to knock on the heart of Nahum? just two generations later. What happened to Nineveh that they did not pass this on down to the next generation? 
Is it possible that if I live something as a parent at a level 10 with passion and say it every day, my kids might live it at a 6 or 7? If they live it at a 6 or 7, their kids might live it at a 2 or 3. You following what I'm saying here? That's why we need to pray for the next generation in America. That's why we love you. Those of you that are under 30 years of age, I want to I tell you, you are loved and appreciated and we believe in you, but you are unique. You are a generation that needs to think through some things, and we want to help do that. I don't want Nahum to have to come and give that message. Jonah's message should have done it. We often think of Nineveh as the city that repented and was spared, though that's true. The lesson, the greater lesson that we can learn today is that the generations... After that generation of repentance, they did not continue to live out these changes and under this repentance, under the favor of God. Why didn't they? Why didn't they? There's a ton of reasons, probably. All I know is how Nineveh ended. And a lot of people don't really know this because they see it spared under Jonah. But the Medes and the Babylonians united and completely destroyed Nineveh. It was the Assyrian capital in May of 612 B.C. The battle lasted three months, and by July the city had fallen and went into the hands of the Babylonians and the Medes. Nineveh was never rebuilt to its greatness. I step back from that and I say, okay, what's the lesson? What can I learn? And that's what I want to bring to you. The next generation, number two in your outline, the next generation needs their own experiences with God. This next generation cannot just believe what we say about our experiences with God. Though we should say it and though we should live it. How many of you are um, raising kids right now? Let me just see your hand. Okay, quite a few of you are. And uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, how many of you have kids? Maybe they're raised. Okay. How many of you have parents? Yeah, everybody has parents. <clears throat> There's a common denominator here that we need to pay attention to, that we're all connected through the generations. We're all connected somehow because we have parents. We have people who have gone before us, every one of us. Whether that was a good experience or a not-so-good experience, it's still a fact. And the next generation needs their own experiences with God. I started thinking about that. What is it they need to experience? And I just jotted some things down, and there are a lot more than these four little things here. But, but let me just give you, first of all, in your outline there, they need life change, which I've just called conversion. They, they need, this generation, the next generation needs their own true conversion. Repentance leading them to God. So that it's not just watching you and your experience with God, but it's them saying, I will own this. Because head knowledge is very different than heart experience. Would you agree with that? I, I think about trying to teach someone with just head knowledge how to ride a bicycle or how to drive a car. You know, let's say that you have someone who turns 16 and they can legally drive a car, so you sit down with them and you pull out a little manual and you say, okay, um, Here's the gas pedal. Here's the steering wheel. See, this is that. Get your hands on the wheel. Okay. Here's the keys. You go through the best you can, and you give them the keys to your brand new car. You say, I'm sure you know how now because I've gone through everything. 
That's probably not going to happen. Why? Because they need experience. They, they need the feel. They need to know what it's like to go down the road. And they need someone helping them, coaching them, walking them through step by step those moments. That, that principle is true of God as well and with God as well. They need to feel that conviction of God's love that says, this is a priority for me, God to you. This is the thing I care. This is what breaks the heart of God. There needs to be these compelling moments where they learn what it feels like to be led by the Spirit of God. How do you teach that? You can talk about it, but they need to understand that. How do you teach someone with head knowledge what love is? Well, that's why they call it falling in love. It's because it usually involves a fall, right? (laughs) Right? Experiences. Number two in your outline is each generation needs to experience ownership of truth. Ownership of truth. To this next generation, what do you believe is the truth? And what do you base it on? It's a good question for you guys to think about. I'm farther, farther, far enough in my life now along that I... I have a pretty good pool of truth, how I define it, why I believe it, convictions in my life, lines in my life that I want to live by and I want to die by. But that's being formed in many of you who are in this next generation and, and you're hearing stuff that tests you and challenges you and, and where are you going to land in the truth line? We're in a culture that doesn't really like absolutes or even talking about truth. And my fear is, my fear is that that if we're not careful as parents, as leaders, as churches, we can work really hard at sort of teaching you how to act godly. If you're godly, you need to do this, dress like this, be like this, talk like this, don't go here, don't go there, blah, 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 blah. And we can teach you how to act godly, and you will still not be godly. It's a huge thing. Because the only thing that can cause you to be godly is God. God. And without that, you can't be godly. So, so you have to come to that place in your life where you say, what is this truth? How can I own this? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about, sorry, I got tickled at what I thought just then, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I, was, I had this moment where I was... Uh, I was sitting down with Bonnie, and we were eating lunch, and, and uh, I forget even what happened. I ended up going back in the kitchen. I was trying to eat it with a little tray on my lap, and it was messy. I said, I'm going to sit in here because she was done or whatever. And I went in there, and then all of a sudden, my manners for eating went like right out the window when there was no one there. You know, what do you eat like when no one's watching? I think it would be a great video just to put a burger in front of someone and see how they eat it when there's no one around, and then put a table full of dignitaries around them and watch how they eat it then. That's, that's kind of what happens in our spiritual life is we know how to do it when people are watching. We, we know what the lines are in our truth walk with God, but when no one's around, it gets blurry and fuzzy, and I can let down a little bit. Number three in your notes is, Every generation, this next generation, really needs conviction. They need to experience conviction and holiness, not just repetition from parents. 
Now, now I want you to have good repetition from parents and our behaviors. I'm thankful for my, my godly upbringing and my parents and their convictions. Um, those are important things in my life, and I'm grateful for them. But there comes a moment when, when as a kid, I transition from saying, oh, I shouldn't do that because my parents won't let me, to saying, I shouldn't do that because really, I shouldn't do that. See the difference? There's a true moral line that you know when you're crossing. Do you have that next generation? Do you have that? Do you have those lines that you're not just doing it so you won't get in trouble out of fear from getting caught, but you have a true holiness desire for God, to please God? Are your convictions real? We learn how to compartmentalize our lives and we sort of say, well, in this group this is okay and in this setting this is alright and this setting this is alright. And there's, there's some health in that, but when it's taken too far and we begin to compromise the truth and we have no true conviction from God, there's a problem. And I think that's why, I think that's why Nineveh could not sustain its repentant heart. It's because the next generation did not personalize and did not have that personally in their lives. Number four. In this little list, um, I think each generation needs to experience passing the torch on to the next generation. Because that's when the light starts to come on for, for us. You know, when we had our first child, it was like amazing how I started to care about things differently. Just because I had someone watching, being there. And I, I just thought, what are these values? How can we instill them? And all of a sudden, you, it wakes you up because you're passing on habits to another generation. And, and I want to be able to say to the next generation, those of you that are 29 and 20 and 10, that you, that you someday can stand before your kids and the next generation after you and say, with conviction, these are the things we hand to you. These are the keys we hand to you. So how do I do that? I was in my garage this past week uh, working on something on my workbench and I have music out there and it was fun and song. I hadn't heard it for years but it's called Cats in the Cradle. You ever hear this song? And the little boy says, Dad, when are you coming home? You know, can we play ball? His dad basically says, man, I, I, I can't now, I'm busy. Um, but we'll get together then, son. We'll, we'll get together then. And then, and then the it changes to the young man now has grown and he's gone off to school and now he has a family and the dad is finally wanting to connect and the son says, can't, can't do it now. Busy. and We'll get together then though, dad. We'll get together then. And it started me thinking, what is it practically that we can do to pass on truth and values to another generation? Is there anything we can do? Is it talk about it? Is it, what is it? So I just started making a list and, and I just came up with a few, and they're not in your notes, but I just want to say them. I, I think spending quality time and quantity time together with family, together with next generation. I, I hear families say, you know, we have quality time once a month as a family. <laughs> and I just want to say, that's not enough. We need quality time, but we also need quantity. We just need to be present in each other's lives if you want to make a difference. Um, things like uh, doing things together, going camping, having a hobby, bicycle rides. Fort Collins offers a lot of fun stuff to do in our community. Going to a game together, getting involved in some things that you can do together. Just spending time together. Eat, how about this one? Eat together. 
I'm shocked at how many families just get their food and go off to their room or go watch TV or go to the basement or go wherever. And there's not even a moment. And so I just, I just appeal to you to think about that. Think about having healthy, another one would be healthy conversations and meaningful conversations. Where you really get into their life and you listen to what they're thinking and what they're saying. It is fascinating to me how this next generation thinks and, and the way they view the world. And, and in, in between their Twittering and Facebooking and having conversations with four or five people at once, sometimes you can, you can make it happen. It's a challenge. I've had great meaningful conversations that changed my, my thinking. You don't always have to agree. My kids, our kids have, have changed my thinking on some things. We've had disagreements. I, I've told them, I've said, look, you can disagree with me if you want to because you have the right to be wrong. Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. But we can laugh at our differences. There are different values. But I'm just trying to say, you make a list. But, but wrestle with it. How can we pass this on? What's the lesson from Nineveh? I want to learn it. I, I want my kids to have the values that God is. I want their kids. I want those next generations. It's so important that we get this right. I've got to hurry up. Number three. God wants to talk to us. Now, this is, this is almost shocking to some people to think that God actually wants to say something into our lives. Why do you think He sent Jonah? Okay, who lives in Nineveh? Assyrians. They're not, they're not Israelites. But God loves them and He sends a messenger. And they repent and God is glad and doesn't wipe them out. Now, the next generation and the next generation blow it all up again. God sends Nahum. Write this down. Warn them. This is what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. God wants to talk to you. I loved it. This morning someone came up to me and said, you know what the Bible really is? It's God's Twitter to us. If you don't understand what that means, I'm not going to explain it. God loves you. How does He talk to you? What is He saying to you now? Has He sent a Jonah into your life through circumstances through finances is there a warning see I don't like to push this too much because warnings if, if all you want as a pastor please hear me say this this is important I've not said this all weekend and I, I need to make sure and say it next service too I don't motivate very often or try to by fear because fear gets a quick response but it doesn't last and maybe Nineveh is a great example of that it's one thing to be afraid that God will judge you and punish you, but it's another to serve Him out of choice because you love Him and you care about the things He loves. There's a huge difference between those two. Both are probably necessary, but God is talking to you. The last thing I want to say is there are consequences to disobedience. And, and this is a tough one because Nahum steps out in chapter 1. Let me just read it to you. He's about to go through the list of consequences, and it's ugly. It's only three chapters. You can read the whole thing in five or ten minutes. But it's, it's like, man, I closed it. I've read it multiple times in the last few weeks. I just didn't have closed it. Oh, I'm, I don't really, I'm not sure that I like that kind of a God, you know. I'm glad that's not all God is, but it's, it's judgment. It's harsh. Listen to just a few verses. Verse 7 of chapter 1, Nahum. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in Him. But He will sweep away His enemies. 
in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. Why are you scheming against the Lord? He will destroy you with one blow. He won't need to strike twice. You know, we're in a culture where everybody wins. You watch these little kids on Saturday soccer. and I just love it. I love driving by the parks and seeing. I remember the days. And, and what do they do in awards night? You know, or after the game, everybody sits down and everybody gets a ribbon. You know, you have no talent. You never played, but here's your ribbon because <laughs> you participated. Now, that, that's fine as a kid, okay? Kids need that. We're building self-confidence in them. But, but I, just, I need to say this. We're not going to all stand before God and have Him say, Okay, here's your ribbon for being born. There, there, is, there is accountability to God, and we need to feel that and not just live in fear because of it, but live in love because of it and do what God puts in our hearts to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to just, we have some time. I've built time in to do this, so don't get in a hurry on me. This is fun, what we're about to do. I want, matter of fact, stand with me if you're able. South Auditorium, listen carefully. Stand up in there as well. And I want to facilitate something um, just to help us. I want every person in the next generation, and I'm just calling it 29 and under, okay? I want you to just come up here right now. 29 and under, just come up here. Stand right around the front. Come on up here. If you are 30, you are too old. You may not come up here. Unless you're married to someone younger, then you can. But come on up here. Come, come, clear, come clear up here to the first step, right there. Yeah. Come right on up. Keep coming. Let them get out. Come right on around. Come right on up. Just stand on the steps. Stand right around the front here. South Auditorium, come right on up. Everyone 29 and under. I want you to gather right up in the front. There's plenty of room there. Yeah, come right over here too. Yeah, we'll give them just a moment. You guys kind of come on through here so that that row can come on down. Good. Good. Man, there are a lot of you. Good grief. This is fun. Let's tell them we love them while they come. Would you just let them know this next generation? Come on up. Come right on up here. So cool. You guys keep coming right on up here, would you, just to kind of let these lines fill in. You guys come right on up on the steps. I want to get as many people up here because I have another group I'm going to invite to stand behind you, and we need a little more room. So just move as quickly as you can this way. And then some of you may move that way along the wall over there. Wow. Powerful stuff. If you are 65 and older then I want you to just step out and stand behind them. I know they're in the aisles or on the wall, but I want you to just step out and stand behind them the best you can. If you're 64, you're too young to do this. 65 and older, and if you don't want anyone to know, just stay where you are. It's fine. But 65 and older, step out and just try to stand right behind them. I want this generation up here to thank them right now just by letting them know that... You guys, we are a generation that understand Nineveh, have submitted our lives to God to walk with Him, to do what He's asked us to do. You're a generation that needs to have your own Nineveh. You need to have your own moments of repentance. You need to have your own moments of trusting God with faith that's real.
Not because I'm telling you, not because someone else is telling you, but because you have a heart for God and you want to do what He is asking you to do. And no one can make you or force you to do that. And you're going to hear every philosophy there is before you're done with your education. And you're going to have people who mock you because you believe in the name of Jesus. So what? Live with a kind of passion and a kind of determination that sets you in a position to believe God and to pass this truth on to the next generation after you. I want to ask everyone 65 and older that I can see out here, and if you didn't make it to an aisle, that's okay, to just hold your hand out. South Auditorium, you too. Hold your hand up in the air like this and just, and just hold it there for a moment as I lead us in a prayer. Now, young people, look back and see the hands that are up that are praying for you. And Marge is actually on a chair over here. Uh, she really wants you to know she believes in you. We believe in you. Lord, we believe in this generation. And we want to learn the lesson of Nineveh. That repentance is wonderful. It changes our future. But show us today how to pass on this torch to this generation. Show this generation how to have those experiences with you that can't just come from someone telling them. But they need to believe it and know it because they believe it and they know it. God, I pray for divine revelation and moments that you will give these young people in their lives, singles and marrieds, that as they do life, as they filter differently than I do, than another generation does, that you will give them insight and wisdom as to how to please you, how to bring your uh, will to this earth as they walk on it. Lord, as long as we have breath, we want to pass this on to the next generation. So thank you now for the faith, the hope, and the love And show us how to continually love this generation. Let them know we believe in them. We're not disgusted with them. They are awesome. They have plans from you. They have goals that are from you. And they can change this world. They are our hope. And we lay it in their hands for your glory. And in your name we pray it. And everyone said, I love you guys. We're proud of you. God bless you. You can go back to your seat for a moment. Would you do that? Last night when I, as they're going back, let them in to sit down, thank you, and then you can be seated when you feel like they're, they're back there. Last night when I had all the young people up here, and I said, if you're 65 or older, I want you to step out and come down here. And someone standing right here said, if, if they can move, okay. <laughs> and I just want you to know to the generation that's 65 and older, thank you for passing that torch, for believing in young people. I know it's a challenge. And you hear comments and you hear things like, you know, this next generation, look at what they do and blah, blah, blah. But I believe in them and so do you. And there's a lot of them. Good grief, you guys. Thank you. We're blessed that you are here today. This is amazing. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Well, we've had quite a night. The Edge was Saturday night. Last night in the Edge in the South Auditorium, I I made the statement at the end. I said, well, I know there's a lot of people under 29 in there. But I'm not sure if there's someone over 65. And uh, they had one. And, uh, and he lifted his hands over him and prayed. And he was actually one of our volunteers helping for the weekend. So it turned out. Praise God. And I'm proud of you. And let's do our part for the next generation.
Okay? Ushers come. We're going to wrap up. I want to thank you right now for what we've seen in this room today. For the generations that have come and gone and will yet come. Let us learn the lesson that Nineveh is trying to teach us today. To never take for granted our faith, but to believe you in the good times and the tough times. And to deposit this message in all who have an ear to hear. Help us to let love live. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And send us out of here today filled with the love of God that can reach and change a world. In your name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Our prayer team is going to come up in both auditoriums. Thanks for being at Timberline this weekend. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks for coming.